It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today, my guest is Kendra Reichenau, CEO of Heartland America. Kendra is a transformational global executive with extensive experience leading well-known consumer-facing brands, spanning multinational public companies to owner-operator and founder-led organizations. She's been working since she was 10 years old and has a strong track record of driving results in general management, omnichannel, merchandising, consulting, and strategy development. She's a clear communicator and developer of high-performing teams. After a sabbatical in Europe with her family during her high school years, she graduated with a degree in political science from Scripps College. Kendra started her corporate career in retail at Nordstrom, Gap, and Ann Taylor in various merchandising roles. Discovering that she needed to expand her horizons beyond retail to reach the C-suite, she embarked on a consulting career at Arthur Anderson, KPNG, and then opened her own consulting practice. Prior to becoming CEO at Heartland, she also held senior leadership positions at consumer product companies Kohler, Luxottica, and Colibar. Kendra Reichenau, welcome into the corner office. Thank you. What a pleasure to be here today. Uh, great to have you here. And we got a chance to chat a couple of weeks ago and learned a little bit about your background and really, really interested to kind of hear that progression. And, you know, we always kind of start at the beginning and that's uh, kind of the early family life. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up and what that early family life was like. Um, you know, I grew up in a very, uh, I grew up in Palo Alto, Menlo Park, California. Uh, my parents were immigrants. They came oh, to cool. America in 1968 with $1,000. Wow, uh, my from father where? Was a, yeah, from my father's British and my mother's nice. Australian. Cool. And they were small business owners in downtown Palo Alto. My father was a photographer and my mother ran the gallery and they really worked together for the first probably 25, 30 years. Nice, nice. Uh, so, you know, it was quite lovely. My, we were a close family. Um, I worked in the gallery um, starting at a very young age. Yeah. I also yeah. worked uh, at the coffee brewery next door. This is pre-Starbucks, right? Yeah, and, right. You know, Joanne you know, it was Joanne's coffees and she roasted the beans right there and bagged them and ground them. And, um, I would work, you know, Friday afternoons kind of dusting off all the coffee ground dust. (laughs) (laughs) Did you become a coffee drinker early on, Kendra? I did not. Um, but I definitely have been working since I was 10 in kind of local businesses, 
really all on University Avenue. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> lovely. My my father. So I I've been working uh, for a very long time. Yeah, yeah. And brothers and sisters, being only child. Yeah, uh, yeah. I have one sister um, who uh-huh. is four years younger, who was probably more of an academic than I was. Right. Okay. Um, and so I think. The good news is we both found things we loved early on, and uh, I think it helped that they happened to be very different. <laughs> yeah, cool, cool. Well, tell us some about those early years. What were some of the things that you learned from mom and dad growing up? Um, I think hard work, um, yeah. and I believe my parents were very supportive around us both girls doing what we loved to do. Hmm. Um, I ended up with my own clothing company by 13 where I kind of painted and decorated clothes and sold them in different boutiques all along, you know, all the way from Tahoe on down. Um, Kind of blank, blank t-shirt stuff. Yeah, blank t-shirt stuff. And I, you know, I put on fashion shows at the school and, (laughs) you know, I wasn't the best student, but I, my parents definitely supported a creative outlet in which I really enjoyed, you know, working. So I've worked in a, as a receptionist, I've worked in movie, you know, what was, you know, rental, rental movies, right. I've worked for Joanne's coffee roasting. I worked in a, you know, another coffee shop. I mean, I just, I really loved work. I loved the freedom. I loved the independence and I loved having my own money. My dad came up with a deal with me that I could have whatever I wanted as long as I paid for 50% of it. Ah, great. Good. So what, what did some of those early savings go towards? Uh, well, I was a good saver. So I had yeah. my own savings book, which was really fun. But cool. I liked clothes. The time you go in and they print it out. Yeah, and it's exactly see, stamped it and you'd stamp see it. interest. You see the right? interest exactly. on a separate yeah. line. Oh, God, I love that. Yeah. yeah. I miss okay. that. Yeah. Right. When it's now all electronic, you don't right. really look at anything anymore. Right. Right. Um you know, I liked clothes. I mean, I, I still love clothes. I still love to spend my money on clothes, uh, uh-huh. which is just ridiculous and superficial. But <laughs> it's definitely a part of who I am. And yeah. uh, I found a lot of joy in it. So Cool. Any other influencers, you know, maybe special teachers or coaches? You, know, you mentioned school wasn't your number one subject, but were there things at school that you liked and excelled at? Uh, I really loved art history. Yeah. Uh, I loved learning. I would say I didn't probably love the homework part. When we were, when I was a junior in high school, my parents decided that we should go live in Europe for a year. And nice. I, I didn't go to school. We traveled. Cool. And I really loved that. I loved traveling all across Europe. How old were you um, at the time? I was 16. My oh, sister nice. was 12. And, yeah. you know, this is pre-Google. This is pre-Google right, right. Maps. This is pre- the Rail Pass. Get the get the. I mean, all of it. My, my, it was a Michelin guide, right? Michelin, Michelin <laughs> Maps. <laughs> and, you know, my parents were very adventurous. They would open up the map and we'd say, okay, we're going to drive through Greece or Yugoslavia or we're going to take wow. the ferry. And we'd open up then the Michelin map and we'd plot our way. And then we'd look yeah. at the Michelin guide and we'd decide where we were going to stay. And we'd show up with no wow. reservations, no force, you know, using the Michelin guide as kind of our North star. <laughs> and I look back on it, you know, we had all these American express 
checks that my dad had sure. like Travel. sewn into checks. his clothes yeah. and oh, yeah. sewn right. hidden in the car. Great. You you know you look back on it and I think oh my god how adventure what yeah. an adventure you know cool we had never been to Turkey we liked it so much we stayed for three months traveling all through it if we didn't like a place we would leave if we liked it we'd stay longer that's um, so cool did Dad like sell the business or was it something in between he did he it was yeah. in between he kind yeah. of took yeah. a break uh, and he decided he you know my my father was very adventurous and. Yeah. I just think he felt like this was just an amazing opportunity for us. And, and you know, it was, it was, it was an incredible journey, especially at that age. age. Uh, And so I think that led to a lot of just travel passion and and love and interest of other cultures. And, you know, I think having parents that had green cards that obviously wanted to come to America, believe in America, love the opportunity of America, um, we probably were also brought up with more of a global view that there are other viewpoints, there are other countries, there are other influences. Um, And I think that has helped me be, just have a kind of a broader view on the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's so cool. Mm -hmm. And and, and were you born in the U S or, or I was, yep. Stanford hospital. One of the few people that actually, you know, came, was born in the Bay area. We claim it. (laughs) (laughs) I can claim it. I love it. I love it. So you came back. So 16, you came back, you came back as a junior in high school. I came back as a senior with no junior year grades or SAT scores or ACT scores or anything. And it was a bit of a scramble. I, you know, I had, again, unusual situation. Uh, the school recommended that I apply to one of the Claremont colleges. Right. And so you I flew to, right. I went to Scripps. Yeah. I flew yeah. down, interviewed with no grades, no SAT scores, nothing, and got in that day. They just said, That's yes, awesome. we'd love to have you. <laughs> so you probably talked a little bit about your trip abroad for that year, I imagine. I did. I did. <laughs> I think, but you know, I don't know. Would, would colleges be that flexible today? Probably not. <laughs> probably but, not. Yeah, it you know, it's, yeah, but... it's really, it's really interesting. I went to a high school called Castilea, which was an all girls school, very, an, an incredible high school. And right. it was even back then it was $15,000 a year. And my dad couldn't wow. afford it. So he yeah. bartered to be the school photographer, which I look back on and I think that would never happen today. Oh, these, yeah. pri- you know, yeah. these very, yeah. very elite private schools, they wouldn't have bartered. I look back on some of these ways where schools were so more flexible that I just don't see that happening today yeah. where, yeah. you know, we push the weird. envelope a little bit and they embraced it, right? And having my son has just left for college, I wonder, is there that kind of flexibility today? And I, and in general, I just don't see it, but, um, so the Carmine colleges are, yeah, Carmine colleges are known for their, for liberal studies, right? Liberal education and Scripps is one of the best. Did you enjoy your four years there? And, you know, know, what did you study? I have to say, I really wanted to go to a big city. Um, and my father was like, no, you can't. Um, and I think I was still, I mean, if you remember, I'm second generation, right? Right. My parents didn't go to college. Um, this was a really big deal for him. Um, it was a big expense for him. Uh, and he really wanted me to be a lawyer. And I think Mm. my generation 
that is second generation. I, I did a talk once and there was, there were, we were all second generation immigrants and every single, we all got up on stage and one woman said, my father wanted me to be a lawyer or a doctor. And then the next one of us said, my father wanted me to be a lawyer or an accountant. I said, I wanted to be a lawyer. And the woman next to me is like, my father said I had to be a doctor. And Crazy. I think back yeah. then those were the professions. Those were the professions. Yeah. Well, they made that, the money, right? That made the money. Exactly. Yeah, right, and our right. parents wanted a better life for us. Yeah, so I was yeah, a poli sci yeah. major because of course my father wanted me to be a lawyer. Right. And um, it's just interesting, right? That uh, So I was poli sci. I actually got my degree at Claremont McKenna because the way the colleges work, you can go to one school but take classes or get your degree yeah. from another. Yeah, uh, and yeah. you, if you wanted to be poli sci, you, you went through Claremont McKenna. But right. yeah. uh, I think the colleges were fine. You know, I had an unusual experience. My father actually went into bankruptcy um, my sophomore year mm. and Sorry. I had to move home. Yeah. Um, and we actually all slept. I slept on the floor of a one bedroom apartment for a wow. year and wow. worked and went to school and earned enough money my junior year. So I could go back my senior year and I took seven classes each semester so that I could graduate with my class. Yeah. And, Jeez. um, wow. you know, it was awful, but at the same time, Built you know, some what, what resiliency. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, I ended yeah. up getting, I worked for Nordstrom through college because I always had to right. pay for part of college. And then right. when I, the year I was home, I was able to take classes at UC Berkeley and community college. And I got a job at Neiman Marcus where I was right. the assistant manager for probably two different departments. I think it was designer and designer sportswear. And I had 19 people. And, you know, these are the days of service right. and Tom Peters and, sure. you know, going above and beyond for your customer and writing thank you notes and having a client yeah. book yeah. and merchandising the floor every day. And, you know, you learn some really good skills at Nordstrom and Neiman Marcus in those days and you great, can earn some decent companies. money. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what attracted you to retail? Was it, was it the, was it the apparel part of it? Yeah, I was going to say, that wasn't hard to guess. There's a theme. <laughs> I love beautiful things. Yeah, you got um, a good discount too, right? So, God, exactly, what, you know, double, exactly. Double benefit. But I learned a lot. You know, I learned a lot. And, you know, I got comfortable around, you know, you learn, you know, especially at Neiman Marcus, our clients were – very successful businesswomen. I mean, back then we were even selling $1,200 blouses, $3,000 suits, you know, how to yeah. interact with successful women, how to understand their style, how to right. properly serve them in a meaningful way. Uh, these are all, you know, these are all great skills, yeah, right? Well, and and so, Nordstrom was famous for that too. I think Nordstrom was, was famous. Yeah, you know, John, and, John Nordstrom, yeah. was he the son or the grandfather? I can't recall, but I remember him being quoted, you know, when asked, how do you find such great people? And how do you recruit them? And, you know, they're such great customers. And he looked at them kind of quizzically and said, no, we don't train them. We, we, we basically find the people that have the right culture. Yep. And, you know, they're raised that way, right? And yep. he would recruit against those criteria that, just was excellence in terms of customer service and then just further refine them once they were in. Exactly. And how long were you there at, at uh, Nordstrom? You said that's where at you At Nordstrom, first, right? I did three Eastern. summers. Yeah, I uh, did three summers, three Christmases and three yeah. Thanksgiving, right? I could come back right. for break. They right. would always be so pleased to have me, you know, come in for a week or two because I could hit the yeah. ground running. I had my client right. book. I could call all my clients, charge, send everything out. Um, you know, I had a pretty good gig. Uh, but yeah. then I think the management part 
and having that opportunity to manage that many people at such a young age, just, you know, I learned how to do markdowns. I learned about inventory. You know, it's, it's all that, that last mile execution that when, that I learned, you know, what made things easy, what made things hard that then helped me, I think when I went into, you know, merchandising and my first corporate job, I had a good understanding of how it executed on the floor. Um, I think that's one of the reasons I was able to get into that gap merchandise training program was because I could really speak. I really understood if, you know, what the vision of corporate was and, you know, how some of the challenges of the execution on the floor, uh, which most kids just hadn't had that experience. Right. So I do think sometimes your worst experiences are your best ones. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And you want to share one with us? (laughs) Can we share one in particular? Yeah. I mean, I think I, um, you know, I was fired once and it was horrible. And I had come back to the gap. They had begged me to come back. And I flew in and interviewed for the day and saw all these old friends and just didn't really interview the company. I chatted with everyone. And I had been gone for, I think, 10 years or so. And I didn't really spend the time to see how the company had changed versus how I had changed. Right. And I had a, I had six bosses in eleven months. Oh my gosh! And the sixth boss fired me on her tenth day, <laughs> and it was the beginning of the downward spiral of of the gap. Yeah. Um, and I think they fired. They'd already fired a large group of people before me, so it's not like I was the only person that was fired. Um, but I didn't do my homework, you know, mm. and I think that was yeah. the big change for me. It was the awakening of culture matters right? and matters. finding your people yeah. matters yeah. Yeah. and really understanding yourself right. matters. And it took me a while to kind of find the right, it took me a while to recover from that. Mm. But at the same time, I think it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Mm. I mean, I don't mean it in a bad way, but everyone needs to get fired once in their life um, because you learn a lot. If you choose to, you can learn a lot in many ways. It's humbling, but it gives you an opportunity. It's humbling, yeah. And kind of own your own shit a little bit. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. That's okay. We'll we'll let that one go. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you spent a number of years in retail, including obviously your college time. Yep. Gap, and I know that you obviously had some time at, you know, Neiman's, and 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 then you kind of took a little bit of a turn and went into consulting for a number of years. Yeah, I, I you, did. You worked for KPMG, and then you did your own thing, and Arthur yep. Anderson, Beckford. Tell tell us a little bit about kind of that change and that pivot in your career. What what led you in down the consulting path and felt that that was the right yeah. choice for you at that time? Yeah, you know, um, I was at Ann Taylor, and McKinsey was doing a large. Um, mm project for us where they were really changing the way we um, really went to market and designed products and executed. And uh, the board and McKinsey and our CEO at the time were fighting vehemently. And uh, and we all knew, we all were hearing rumblings, right, of just the challenges that were going on at the board level. 
and our CEO did not want to change. And uh, the McKinsey manager I had chatted with, because I was curious, you know, I wanted to learn. Uh, And she said to me, you merchants, she goes, you just think you know everything, but you don't. And I thought to myself, oh, well, she's right. I, I don't know. You know, I think merchants always run the company, but the reality mm. is I don't really know how the other areas work. Mm. And if I'm ever going to be the head, how, how am I going to learn? Mm. And yeah. so I thought about business school and I realized that my grades weren't very good. And the reality is I really didn't like going to school. And third of all, I didn't want to take on any debt. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought, well, maybe I could go be a consultant and I could get paid to learn. <laughs> mm. And so I figured out a way to get a job with a consulting firm that was known for retail and it, and it was called Webb and Shirley. uh, And they had been purchased by KPMG and they were doing the exact projects that Gap, that McKinsey had been doing with Gap and Ann Taylor. And at the time, this Webb and Shirley team um, was doing it at the limited and they, again, the CEOs were struggling to understand how the, what the new world was going to look like. And so they hired me as their SME, which is a subject matter expert to explain how it worked in the new world, because I had actually gone through this transformation now once at gap and once at Ann Taylor. Right. And so I spent about a year and a half on this project working with the Victoria's Secrets team to help them transform to this new way of designing and sourcing and, you know, executing products. Uh, And, you know, I mean, these were legendary people um, and it was it was a thrill. It was a thrill. And so and then that's what moved me into consulting. So, you know, then you learn how all the other, you know, I did a logistics network study. I've done some system implementations. I've led different types of, you know, business operation improvement work. And so through doing that, whether it's through a big company or on my own, I've really learned how companies work. I've learned Mm. how to assess organizations. I've learned how to prioritize. I've learned how to build out decks and communicate with boards and communicate with CEOs. And, you know, basically I got paid to learn, right? And I (laughs) I achieved my goal. And I think, you know, there's a couple of things I think every things should happen to people. One, I do think everyone should get fired once. Um, two, I think everyone should live in New York for a couple of years. Yep. And three, mm-hmm. ideally, I think everyone should go into consulting for a couple of years because yeah. I think yeah. you learn how to look and evaluate and assess in a way that you just don't, when you're in your own little world, in your own little little job, you're so looking down, you don't learn how to look out. Right. And right. I think it's really valuable. Yeah, super cool. So so the next big career pivot was in kind of getting to where you are now in the consumer products area, right? You, you work for a division of uh, one of the largest, you know, eyewear companies in the world. You had some time at Kohler. You obviously did Kula Bar as well. And I, we won't be able to talk about all of those. But, but again, help us with kind of that transition. So you did the consulting gigs for 
about a decade, right? Eight, yep. eight to 10 years, on I think you consolidate yep. everything mm-hmm. on and off, a couple of things in between, and then kind of zeroed in in this area of, 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 of consumer goods. I know there's some furnishings and so forth in there too, but you know, again, help us with the thinking and in, in kind of your sector choice there. And, and what well, I think, you, you know, in the last few, so it's probably in the last 15 years or so, I've been, you know, at that president, yeah. CEO level. Um, right. I like transformations. You know, mm. I am not a maintainer. Um, And so usually I'm attracted to it because one, I think there's a great core product or value and two, it, it's struggling and it needs help in its transformation. And I like the complexity of that. Mm. You know, there's a lot Mm. of moving parts. Um, It requires a little bit of roll up your sleeves, but it's also incredibly satisfying and being able to really galvanize the team and get everyone aligned and together transform an organization is 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 really satisfying and so i technically i you know i pick the projects because they speak to me in a way that i think i really can add value um and that is that's rewarding and i work because i think it's fun do you go through a process where you kind of look at the core and say gosh there's something there that i really think is worthwhile but they got some issues right and we got to transform or turn around is that that kind of because you know you you work for some great brands and you think of polar you think of obviously uh uh the, the the i can't uh Remember the name of the company was it NGL Optics. I think that's the, the looks. At, oh, N3L um, Optics. Yeah, I mean, Oakley's Optics, a great right. brand, right? Yeah, Oakley's a great yeah. brand, and right, and that right. was really a growth story um, where where we were working at, with Oakley. But definitely, my Nordstrom experience when I went back to corporate with Halogen that was a turnaround brand. Um, right, the right. McGuire was a turnaround brand, an old you know, beautiful heritage company that, you know, you needed to make look more modern and contemporary and, and kind of morphing into today's living space. Everything was kind of designed around the formal dining room and people don't really design formal dining rooms anymore. You know, Coolabar was just this incredible brand that the clothes look like you were ill and sick and dying of, you know, something and and (laughs) really some protection should make you feel great so you can get outside and, and even with Heartland America, you know, just creating the, the, the discipline and rigor of finding great values and great deals, um, you know, they all have something there. They all have something yeah, there. Yeah. It's just there's a core there. Yeah, there's yeah. a core there. You just need to find the discipline and rigor of, you know, the coordination, the vision, the execution, the process, you know, streamlining things data, using your data, having clarity of the data, all these things matter. Uh, And having a team that's on board, you know, getting people on board, getting people, you know, usually the having a couple quick wins at the beginning to get the buy-in so that everyone's like, yeah, okay, this is starting to make sense. This is going to work. This is exciting. This feels good. This is hard, but this feels good. So you're going into your second year, right, at yep, Heartland? Correct. And and so still early days. Tell us a little bit about the company and uh, and what were you know some of those core things that that attracted you there and in some of the challenges that you're facing now. 
Uh, you know, again, I think this is a company that's been around for 40 years. Yeah, it's been around a long time. Um, it's, a, it's a catalog business. We provide right. great values to the customer. Uh, so we're a really value-driven company, but it had been, you know. And Heartland-focused. Heartland-focused, that's correct. <laughs> and product offering, right? And product offering, <laughs> yes. Uh, but I think, you know, there's something nice about having value. We we have a large call center and, and our customers call us on the phone. And I think, uh, you know, as you get older, um, it's not always easy to get, you know, it's sometimes it's nice to talk to people on the phone and yeah, yeah. it's a little bit of our secret sauce. You know, mm. it's sometimes it's confusing. People have questions. People right. want to order, you know, they're just, they're just not a hundred percent able to buy everything online and, or they, they just they don't trust the same as yeah. it, it. It just right. gets harder, yeah. I think, as you get yeah. older. You can't see as well. You can't hear as well. Blah blah blah. Um, and I think we provide again a level of service that the world kind of doesn't appreciate anymore. Right. Yeah. Um, do you get on calls? Do you listen to, to consumer calls? And- yeah, we do. I definitely yeah. do, and I definitely yeah. respond. And I, you know, yeah. I read all our customer reviews, and we, you know, we rate how our how our salespeople perform and, yeah. and I do, you know, monthly town halls and we do a lot yeah. of recognition around service and feedback and just a lot of positive team building service related activities to keep right. everyone engaged. Uh, it's important. Um, yeah. And what were important. some of the challenges when you came in? I mean, I, I think the biggest challenges was the lack of data um, mm-hmm. okay. And probably, you know, the lack of management on just processes and right. not a lot of silos, not a great, a lot of discipline around the mm. inventory, you know, inventory's cash, right. you know, right. really understanding the, I think there just wasn't a great understanding of the levers of the business. And, you know, it just takes prioritizing, you know, what are we going to focus on? What are we going to get clarity on? Yeah. And, and the team's been amazing. I mean, they've been, I've got a lot of people who have been there 20 years or longer. Right. I'm amazed how long they've stayed and been with the company and how loyal they are and how much they love the company. And so leadership matters. It does. And they're on board. <laughs> like I'm so yeah. proud of them. I can't yeah. tell you, they just are like, I get it. You're right. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, okay. And their ability, their grit and determination to change right. has been tremendous. So so looking at kind of the arc of your leadership, you know, starting in obviously your early retail period, the consulting where you kind of got, you know, exposed to a lot of the things and now focused in on, on this particular consumer product business. But what, what's been consistent and in, in, in what have you changed? You know, tell us a little bit yeah. about you know, the principles that you keep applying that, you know, seem to work for you and, and, and what have you had to modify, if anything, in terms of your... Um, oh, I've had to modify. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I am very direct and yeah. I think that's both my greatest strength and a, an enormous weakness, right? Um, I, I don't, I'm not good with politics. I don't really play games. I'm a straight shooter. It can be, it can feel harsh, Um, not everyone likes it. Hmm. I think people who like it, love it. It can be a little alienating. Yeah. I've definitely tried to soften over the years. Um, I am 
relatively more patient than I used to be. Uh, I think, you know, I definitely was impatient, slightly intolerant. Uh, and so I've had to soften, you know, I've definitely had to soften. I've definitely had to mellow. I've definitely had to, you know, learn how to take three breaths. Different skills. Um, and so I think, you know, usually I, you know, I have to bring, I have to take more, I've learned, I have to take more time to bring people along with me, even though I can see so clearly down the path and around the corner, how do I bring people along with me? And I think I've learned how to do that better. Uh, and so I think I'm a better leader now, uh, than I was just through trial and error and, you know, listening to the feedback when it, sure. when it, when I, when I'm kind of too much, yeah. uh, we all have to, you know, we all have something, right. We all have to work on certain things and some yeah, things we can right. change and some things we can't, but right. I, I think I'm definitely a better leader than I was. You talked about company culture earlier and how important that is. And, you know, a 40 year old company, I mean, that you came in, there's a culture established there. How much time do you spend, you know, kind of modifying or tweaking that culture, um, and, and also, you know, propagating it. I mean, how, you know, how do you go about particularly coming through the pandemic and so many of us have been working remote and so forth, you know, embracing culture and communicating that outward is, is ultimately the CEO's job. And, and yep. I'm always curious on, on, you know, different approaches and how CEOs make that happen. So what's your, um, what's your secret sauce in that area? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I walk the talk, yeah. right? Um, I show up every day and yeah. I'm on time. I'm prepared, um, and I'm demonstrate the kind of behavior you want to see. Yeah, I'm intentional. Um, I think having a monthly town hall Mm. uh, where you recognize people, you recognize customers. Is it all hands? All 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 hands. um, We share success stories. It's well prepared. Um, I think has really matters. I have two different kinds of management meetings a week that are um, very focused, have an agenda, um, that get the teams working together, talking, learning. Um, I think these kinds of intentional points where we work together really matter. because then we can share successes, right? We're, yeah, we're on, right. There's an ongoing sharing of successes all the time so that people understand what we're doing is working. And if it's not working, how do we pivot, right? right. And cool. I think that's what the team sees is communication, follow yeah. up and follow through in general successes. The reality is we don't have to be right we only, I think, have to be right seven out of 10 times to be <laughs> right, successful. Right. We can yeah. afford to fail every once in a while. And if we're not yeah. occasionally failing, we're not trying. Yeah, got it. Love it. What do you look for when you're uh, investing in the people that you hire at Heartland? Um, in general, I like people that are self-motivated, mm. uh, that are confident enough to admit when they don't know how to do something. Yeah. Uh, I like people who are confident, who kind of like themselves, right? I appreciate many, 
I can work with a lot of different kinds of people. And I, I've learned over the years to appreciate what people are good at. I try to focus on people's strengths, not try and focus on their weaknesses, but I do think it's easier to work with people when they fundamentally like who they are. Mm. Uh, Mm. I think they tend to be more confident and, and, more. How do you get at that in, a, in an interview situation? Do you have some favorite interviews? I think you can kind of tell, right, if yeah, someone, yeah. as you ask them questions, how they answer, yeah. uh, how they respond, you can kind of tell. Because they're willing to admit things, right? If yeah. you're confident, you know, you can say, look, I, you know, I've had to work on this. Or, you know, you can ask what are your strengths, what are your, you know, what are your opportunities? And when, and when people can't really answer what opportunities or, you know, what was their worst experience and why? And they they can't answer those questions honestly. It tells me that they're not really honest with themselves. Yeah, right, right. You know, you right. could ask right. me, you know, what's your worst experience? And I told you I was fired. And I, you know, right. who, know who knows how right. many people this is going to go out to. <laughs> right, right. right. Okay. It's nothing to be ashamed of if you learn through it. You know, especially I mean, if you learn through it. And right. I, you know, that's the type of, I like myself. I like who I am. I know I'm going to make mistakes and I'm willing to learn from them. Those yeah. are the kind of people I like to have on the team. Yeah. Awesome. What's been the biggest lesson that Heartland's learned through the pandemic as we're, as we're now apparently going out of it, but uh, <laughs> to yeah. be seen. Then, but. Uh, you know, I think we learned that, um, you know, it hasn't been easy. I'll, you know, I'll be candid. There's been some real ups and downs and yeah. I think we're still trying to figure out, the customer, you know, what do they want? You know, there is lack of consistency going on right now and there's a lot of fickleness and there's a lot of up and down and, you know, we have great weeks and then we have not great weeks and there seems to be a lot of emotion that our customer being an older customer, Mm -hmm, you know, mm feels, you know, so if the market's down or gas prices are up or there's a shortage of something, you you can see this kind of emotional up and down with them. And I think it's, it's hard to predict. Uh, And so I don't think our company, we're still going up and down. Like we're still trying to figure, figure some things out in, in, in the customer behavior. There just seems to be a lot of volatility. Yeah, it's going to be an ongoing process for some time, I think. I think it's going to be. I think it is, yes. Did did you guys go fully remote or did you keep a core, you know, people in the office? Well, we have a warehouse. um, So the warehouse team came in every day throughout the entire pandemic. Uh, I really didn't join until everyone was back to hybrid. So for me, I believe they were 100% remote except for the warehouse team. Yeah. and they they managed it incredibly well. They it worked well. They were able to work through it. We have been hybrid since last year, right. uh, and that seems to be working well. Yeah. Um, so we're in a few days a week, and then we're at home a couple days, right. and um, I think that's worked out best for everyone. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah. Well, Kendra, we're just about out of time, but we always have one last question we ask all our CEO guests, and that's. What kind of career and life advice would you give someone who maybe has her eyes on the corner office someday and, you know, hopes to get there? Um, I think work is everything. Uh, Hmm. I think you need to get a job in high school. I think you need to get jobs in college. Uh, You know, I've had my son working since he was 12, 13, you know, (laughs) under the counter. I don't care. Uh, (laughs) 
you know, gritty work matters, you know, and I, and I believe you need a couple jobs where you kind of start at the bottom and, and, and you learn all work experience is good. And again, I think I've said it before, even a bad work experience is a good work experience. And so I think, you know, I read somewhere that only a less than a third of all kids right now have after school jobs. And I thought, Wow. It's down from like two thirds of you know, 20, 40 years ago or something. And I thought these kids are missing out on yeah. life yeah. skills that will help them navigate what they want to do or what they like right. or, and I think it really matters. You know, we spend yeah. the majority of our life working, it takes the majority of our time. We need to figure out things we love to do, right? And the only yeah, way to do that right. is through trial and error. And, <laughs> figure out the stuff you don't like. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> or the stuff you're good at. Or, right, and, right. You know, I think it's a, I would really encourage all people to get as much work exposure yeah. um, as they can. And, yeah. and talk to people or network and, and learn what other jobs are out there. Because I think part cool. of it is, you know, as the world is changing, what's out there, right? Cool. Well, Kendra Reichenau, thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode. 